Welcome to The Code, your guide to health and human performance. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room, a performance-based rehab facility here in Denver. On this podcast, we're going to explore the key areas of your life that impact your overall health and wellness, from sleep hygiene and stress management to nutrition, movement, relationships, and more. We bring you conversations with industry experts and top performers to share strategies they have for cracking the code on health and human performance. Now let's get to today's show. What's going on, guys? Dr. Andrew Fix back here for another episode on the code. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I know I tell you guys this every time, but however you're tuning in to listen to this, whatever platform you're on, and uh, whatever time of day you're tuning in, I really appreciate your time and you choosing to take a few minutes with us on the code. Uh, We've got an awesome interview lined up for you guys today. We have another fellow physical therapist on the podcast, Dr. Alyssa Kuhn, and uh, she's got her own practice called Keep the Adventure Alive in her own business that is highly structured around the topic of osteoarthritis. And, um, you know, I'm sure this is not the first time you guys have heard of arthritis, but uh, I think out there in society, that's sort of a, a scary term and it really gets people worked up. And I'm excited to have Alyssa on here so that we can sort of dispel some myths and talk about it and talk about her background and how she sort of made a business out of this. So Alyssa, thank you so much for for joining me this afternoon. And um, yeah, I just really appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to be here. Yeah, thanks. Well, Alyssa, what I would love to do, um, you know, you're a physical therapist, I'm a physical therapist, we could take this conversation uh, a number of different ways. But uh, before we get too deep, I would love for you to just share with the listeners a little bit more about your background. You were just telling me about, you know, where you're from and how you moved out to Utah. But if you could fill us a little bit in more in depth on your background, that would be awesome. Yeah. So I'm originally from the Midwest. I grew up in Michigan and then went to Ohio for PT school, went to Ohio State and then moved out here to Utah probably about three years ago. And right after I graduated PT school, I was working as a home care physical therapist. So where I, for those of you that don't know what that is, I'd go to people's houses and do treatments primarily after total knee and hip replacements. But I also saw quite a few people just for balance issues after recent falls or recent surgeries, and they tended to be in the 60 plus crowd. And I got to thinking, especially since I was working in a rural area, that there were so many people who were lacking the information, lacking the resources they needed to navigate common joint pain. I mean, joint pain, joint stiffness can be symptoms you experience as you get older, but it's not inevitable. And surgery is not inevitable for osteoarthritis either. But it was amazing. And I'm sure that you've realized so many people believe it is. And there are so many stereotypes around osteoarthritis. And there was just so much misinformation that people were getting because as I'm going to these people's homes, you get to talking and you get to know the people pretty well. And after hearing, you know, what they've been through, some people were dealing with debilitating pain for 10 plus years because they thought that's just how it has to be. And so then I got to thinking, okay, well, especially after we moved out here to Utah, people want to be active. People want to be out in the mountains, skiing, hiking, whatever it is. And so they have that extra motivation. And I started seeing a lot of people with the beginning stages of osteoarthritis where they're experiencing joint pain, experiencing joint stiffness. Like, I don't want this to limit me doing all these outdoor activities. What can we do to help this? 
And so then this business just kind of blossomed into focusing on keeping adventures alive, especially with arthritis, because a lot of times if you Google search arthritis or if you look at articles online or hear just from family and friends, like you mentioned, arthritis has this very negative um, connotation that it's this scary word, especially as yeah. it's getting diagnosed younger and younger. And so we, I wanted to bring some positivity and optimism into this and show people what actually is possible instead of showing people or telling people what's not. Yeah, man, I love that. And I can't, uh, you know, I can't agree with you more that there's so much misinformation out there uh, as it relates to arthritis. And to make sure that we don't get off on the wrong foot, one of the first things I would love for you to do is just kind of define what the heck that word even means, right? I know arthritis, I know what arthritis means, but for everyone that's listening to this, if you could just sort of tell us what arthritis is and what arthritis is not, and just like what what does that even mean? Yeah. So there's a couple different types of us, or there are a couple different types of arthritis. But when somebody is saying, Oh, I have arthritis in my knee, I have arthritis in my hip, they're usually referring to osteoarthritis, which is kind of a cluster of symptoms. There's not necessarily a test you can do to say, Yes, you have osteoarthritis, but it's joint pain, joint stiffness, particularly in the morning, but that reduces with activity in usually around 30 minutes or so. You might have some joint instability. You might have some loss of range of motion. And together, along with looking at a picture of your joint, so an x-ray, and MRI, is starting to see if there's some maybe narrowing or some changes in your cartilage. What's important to know is that the x-ray or MRI is not a definitive in terms of diagnosis and treatment. So often I hear of people being told, your x-ray looks like this, your MRI looks like this, so you need surgery. And it's not a direct path. You have to look at all of these symptoms. There's also rheumatoid arthritis, which is another common form of arthritis. That has some more systemic symptoms going on. You might have fatigue, nausea, fever, et cetera. And it's not usually just localized joint pain. So those are kind of the two primary types of arthritis. There are a couple different ones. They're not as common, um, but osteoarthritis is probably one of the most common. And whether you have a diagnosis or not, if you're dealing with joint pain and joint stiffness, you don't necessarily need a diagnosis of osteoarthritis because the treatment likely is going to be the same. You essentially just want to rule out some of these other conditions that may be going on, like rheumatoid arthritis, which you can test for the rheumatoid factor and do a couple of other things for that. So really, it's just kind of ruling those out to get a more clear idea of what's going on. Yeah, perfect. Thanks for uh, thanks for that. And um, you know, I think, like you said, osteoarthritis very common. That's typically what people mean when they say the word arthritis. And I think most commonly, what what people probably think of are the knee and the hip when we start talking about areas of the body, joints in particular, having arthritis. Um, I would imagine those are the main ones that you see. What what other areas do you see that people deal with the most from an arthritis standpoint? So I'd probably say knee is number one, mm-hmm. hip is number two, and then some of the smaller joints come in. I would say probably ankle and hand are coming in at like three and four. You can also, of course, have spinal arthritis. Sometimes that can be termed degenerative disc disease, which 
is essentially the same thing as like a spinal arthritis. It's kind of a global term for it. Um, and we see some of that too. So it's usually in those larger joints, but you can't forget about the hand and the ankle because of course those can dramatically impact daily activities and then the back. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I mean, that's the same thing that, that I see that our team sees here at physio room. And I think, you know, one of the things that I want to highlight, and I actually had this conversation on a recent previous podcast recording, uh, was the point that you brought up about imaging and how imaging is just a piece of the puzzle puzzle. And it's a piece of the, you know, the diagnostic criteria, along with all these other cluster of symptoms and the actual clinical presentation and the level of function that people actually have. Because I have a uh, a client who was recently in here, keep in mind, he has no knee pain. He previously, though, had torn his ACL and he had surgery. He had a meniscus tear and everything. So he had surgery in the past to reconstruct that. So he recently had like a long-term follow-up with his provider and they redid an x-ray of his knee uh, in that process. And he got told, this guy's like in his mid-30s, he got told that you have no cartilage left in your knee, you're bone on bone. I knew this was coming. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. You knew it was coming. So he got told you're bone on bone. And the best thing happened. Now, what I'm about to say I should preface is, in my opinion, and probably in Alyssa's too, is pretty rare to hear the response from the provider, the physician in this case, that, that this client actually told me because he has no knee pain. A lot of times the provider will take that image and they will try to direct treatment based off of what that image shows as opposed to based off what the client's actually feeling. What they told him was, since you have no knee pain, since you're skiing and hiking and you're doing all the active things that you want to do, I want you to continue doing those things to the best of your ability. One of our major goals here in the clinic is, man, we're trying to get him stronger because this individual is not somebody I would classify as a very strong person from a lower body perspective. He has enough strength to go about his day, but he's not, you know, lifting weights that are anywhere, you know, near or past his amount of body weight in addition, like on a bar or something like that. But I was just blown away when he told me that his provider said, keep doing what you're doing as opposed to, oof. You're bone on bone. Here's the things we need to do about that. And I feel like there's definitely not enough providers in that scope of thinking. And especially being younger, I've heard from a lot of people who are diagnosed as in their 30s, in their 40s, like, oh, this is the condition, you know, I'm supposed to get when I'm 60 or 70. And so that can even be more scary because it's like, well, I'm 30 years old and I'm already considered to be this bone on bone. What the heck am I supposed to do? And so absolutely it's important that he's addressing this, not even, it sounds like even in more of a preventative thing, if he's not even dealing with knee pain, unless he's seeing you for something else. But I think it's almost a positive in some lights to understand or to be perhaps diagnosed at a younger age because now you can do more about it. There are so many people that have joint pain. They wait until it gets unbearable before going to get help or before Mm -hmm. seeking out some solutions. 
And then sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it can be too late where you've essentially dug a hole so deep that it's so hard to climb out of that in chronic pain beliefs and understanding, you know, what you need to do. Now, this gentleman, I think it was a man, yeah. is mm-hmm. starting to build up optimal movement habits that will continue to carry him through his later years. And so I think that's one side of it that it can almost be somewhat of a benefit. Obviously, you don't want to be told you have severe osteoarthritis at age 30, but you can absolutely plateau symptoms. You can absolutely prevent the progression of the condition, which is another myth that a lot of people don't understand. But yeah, This idea of bone on bone is one of those things that it can be, it can send people down a black hole of symptoms and it can send people down a black hole of thoughts. Like, okay, it basically insinuates there's nothing you can do. And a lot of times, unfortunately, healthcare providers, healthcare professionals are further cementing this. And then it leads down a path of avoiding movement and feeling scared of movement and all of these habits that continue to actually exacerbate pain. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. And I think, and it's, it's interesting what you said, unless, unless we are seeing this individual, this client for something else, which in fact we are, we started seeing him for a shoulder issue and then he was skiing and tweaked his back. And we just happened to get upon this knee conversation because we're looking at him as a whole individual, not as a shoulder, right? We're like looking at him as a person and we're talking about, oh, you've had ACL reconstruction in the past and you love skiing and you're a volleyball player. Okay, let's talk about that. And, um, you know, let's just treat you as a whole, which is how we got on that. But I think one thing that you and I know that I don't know if, you know, I don't know if clients know, I hope other providers know, and just people in general, how big of an impact the words that we have have on that other individual or the words that we say have on that other individual. Because, yeah, when like how many times has somebody come in to see you or see me and they said, my doctor told me that I can't squat anymore, that Mm -hmm. I have bone on bone in my knee, that I, whatever, those words really stick with people. And they, they send people into this like downward spiral effect of thinking in their mind, or sometimes even worse, it sends them to drgoogle.com to start looking up all the things. And what I tell everybody is, you can find anything you want on the internet. If you want to find about find out about how bad arthritis is, you'll find that on the internet. If you want to find out about all the things you can still do if you have arthritis, you'll find that too. It just depends on what you're searching for. You're going to find what you want to find depending on what you're searching for. But um, but you had mentioned that uh, you know bone on bone is one of these myths that like you're doomed forever, right? And then you had mentioned being in the rural. Uh, you know, part of town that you were in, how much misinformation you feel like the clients you were working with were getting and the misinformation that they had about arthritis. And I would love for you to expand on that just a little bit about like, when you were working with clients, either now or or in the past in more of a rural environment, like, what were the main pieces of like myths or misinformation that you found yourself having to educate person after person after person on? Um, and let's try to dispel some of those right now. Yeah. And so I think that there were, there was some degree of misinformation, but there was also a degree of just lack of information. Um, 
also a degree of maybe something was perceived, perhaps how it shouldn't have been. So it was kind of a combination of a couple of different things. And I would honestly say probably one of the biggest ones was just the lack of information. Yeah. As I was seeing, most of the clientele I was seeing were post-op, like day one, day two of a total knee or hip replacement. Some of the people I had gotten to before they had decided on surgery but most of them were prior. So they had already made the decision on surgery. And I think one of the biggest things was that movement actually can help. And that movement can actually help arthritis because even though say they had surgery on their right knee, right hip, a lot of people say, you know, oh, my left knee is going to have to get done, you know, after this, and I'm going to have to get my shoulder done or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the biggest things was realizing that movement actually helps. I think so much, and perhaps not as great as in our generation, um, that we value fitness a little bit more. We value like the prevent preventative side of things. And in yeah. older demographic, that just didn't really exist as much as it does now because there right. wasn't as much research. There wasn't as much knowledge about the benefits. Mm -hmm. So most of the people that I was seeing, especially in their like 70s, 80s, 90s, didn't necessarily have this kind of fitness forward mindset. A lot of them never really grew up exercising or never really exercised in general. And so movement was kind of viewed as this Thing that's making their joints worse as a yeah. mechanical problem that osteoarthritis is a mechanical problem that needs a mechanical solution and then of course it's further solidified by wear and tear you move too much when you were younger you did too much you wore out your joints mm -hmm. and this whole wear and tear phenomenon is probably one of the hardest to overcome because yeah. people that makes sense. Like, oh, you know, I did this. I've been living for 80 years, 90 years. My joints are just worn out. And that makes sense to them. But when you're starting to look at the pathogenesis of osteoarthritis, coming to, it's not just this mechanical, if you have a lack of cartilage, you can find pain relief. If you are bone on bone, you can find pain relief. People that have the same or close to the same x-rays showing maybe no cartilage can have totally different symptoms. And so it got research, researchers thinking, okay, well, there has to be something else. There has to be something that's contributing to pain. Why is someone that has no cartilage, why don't they have any pain? But someone else can have very severe pain. And then you start looking at inflammation, kind of the mm -hmm. buzzword of the past couple of years. But it's very, very important to understand because it brings in the empowerment. It brings in, okay, just because you have a lack of cartilage or just because maybe your joint space is a little bit smaller, you can find relief. Biggest conversation when somebody is bone on bone is you can find relief and here's why. And looking at these lifestyle factors that can really help to reduce inflammation, I think is one of the most empowering things to discuss with somebody because it essentially gives them the power back in a situation where they used to feel powerless. And once you can do that and really kind of understand why these habits are helping reduce inflammation. So save sleep, for example, prioritizing yeah. sleep can help with reducing inflammation. If you don't get great sleep, 
and you're not prioritizing it, it can actually increase your sensitivity to pain, meaning certain activities that maybe didn't cause pain before now may cause more, now may cause pain or even more pain because of that lifestyle habit. And there are lots of these habits and giving people the power again, I think is one of the biggest breakthroughs that people can have. Because then you start to get the buy-in of, okay, well, maybe now I know the exercise is helping to reduce inflammation. It's helping to actually de-stress my joint when I'm moving in the right ways of building the right strength. Then I'm going to do it more versus I'm kind of hesitant. This hurts. This doesn't feel good. If you're doing maybe the wrong movements, making pain worse, making stiffness worse, well, I'm not going to do that. And then you lose that buy-in, lose that adherence. I'm just going to go get surgery because nothing's working. And so I think one of the biggest things that I tried to talk about is this idea that you can actually reduce inflammation. You can actually reduce pain by explaining these sorts of things. Unfortunately, for some people, they have had these messages and what doctors have been telling them for years and maybe even what family and friends have been telling them ingrained in their minds for so long that it was hard to shift some of these ideas, which is another reason why I think it's so important to learn these things early. So that way, if you do, like if you or I started to experience joint pain, now I would know how to reduce that. Or I'd have a different mindset of it versus my knee's not supposed to hurt until I'm 60, until I'm 70. Why is it hurting now? sort of thing. And so I think getting into the right mindset is huge. And of course, movement and sleep and the foods you're eating and all of that are helpful and are helpful to bring up. But I think it's also important to have people be able to increase their confidence that they can do something about it. Because again, you don't get that very much when you're going to see a healthcare professional. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. I mean, nobody wants to see you do poorly. Nobody wants to see you in pain. And a lot of times what people are telling you likely isn't from a malicious intent, but like we were talking about before, words are very, very powerful. And I honestly think that some people just don't realize that, but at the end of the day, it's just being able to get your confidence back and feel like you have power over the condition. What's up, guys? Dr. Andrew Fix here from The Code. And I want to encourage you to check out our friends at Flux Footwear, the only shoe with an adaptive sole that moves and flexes with you. Since I got my first pair, they've been one of my favorite shoes to wear no matter what activity I'm doing throughout the day. If you're looking for a shoe that can keep up with you're going to the gym, to the office, traveling, or just catching a coffee date, you're looking for Flux. Visit the link in the show notes or check out my Instagram to get 10% off and pick up your pair today. Yeah, man, I love everything that you just said. And I think the word that comes to mind as you're describing that is the word hope, right? Like you're giving people hope that they're not doomed, that, you know, that there is an upward trajectory that is possible when you you do find yourself having a, you know, a diagnosis like arthritis labeled, like you're labeled with that. Because I think the, I think what you said about the wear and tear being like commonly used as like the descriptor of what's happening when we have arthritis is a huge part of this, at least with the generational difference, like we were talking about, because I'm thinking to, you know, my parents or my grandparents or whatever, like that is exactly what they say. And, you know, what we know is there are plenty of people 
that are very old, that have put a lot of quote unquote wear and tear on their body that don't have arthritis and that run marathons into their nineties and they don't have knee pain, right? So we know that it can't just, again, just in air quotes, be a wear and tear problem because otherwise, why wouldn't that person's joints be completely worn out? And um, what I want to make sure, I know you emphasized it, but what I want to make sure to everyone that's listening that doesn't get lost in this is how profound of an impact our lifestyle factors have on whether or not you have pain and whether or not that pain is related to arthritis or not. Because man, if you were going to um, you know, take your car or something into the shop, you're not bringing a, an MRI or an x-ray report of your vehicle into the shop and saying, hey, treat this. Like You're bringing the actual car in so that they can look at it and they can hear it and they can test drive it and they can figure out what the heck is going on. It's the same reason why we can't treat humans like they are what their image says they are because everyone is different. We see x-rays, we see MRIs of people all the time that look exactly the same And those two people's symptoms are so significantly different. You wouldn't even believe that they have the same looking x-ray, but they do, right? Like this is the way, this is the way that it works. Like people present different than what their images show. And quite frankly, I think it's actually less common when I have a client in the office that does end up getting imaging and their imaging like really confirms, or at least in our mind helps us feel more strong about what we think is going on. Cause that just doesn't happen that much. So often we get an image and it is not what we were anticipating it looking like. And I was one of those people. I was one of those people where I had had back pain six years, five years ago, five and a half years ago. I tweaked my back, moving something very heavy. Now, keep in mind, I'm a physical therapist at this point. I'm working with clients and now I'm having symptoms of like pain shooting into my hip, into my glute starting to have some of those, you know, kind of like sciatica type of symptoms, except it was on the front side, sometimes too, down the front of my leg. And I was so confident that I just knew that I had a disc issue, right? (laughs) I knew that I had hurt a disc and I was so confident in that belief and I could not get these symptoms to go away. And then I started getting stressed out about this. I was like, dang it. Why, why did this have to happen? Why did this happen to me? Right. Um, This kind of like victim mindset. So then the funniest thing happened. Of course, there was time involved in this, but I ended up going. I had a physician connection. I was able to go get an MRI very cheaply, right? I was able to kind of get a referral. I didn't have to pay a bunch for this. And that MRI came back completely normal. 100%, no issues in the low back, no disc herniations. Now, keep in mind, an MRI is a snapshot in time of you lying stationary in a tube or standing in an MRI machine. It's not of you actually moving. But when that MRI came back completely clean, my anxiety and stress about what I've been dealing with dropped dramatically. And I was relieved, right? I was like, oh my gosh, thank goodness I don't have a disc issue. And I swear to God, within the next like several weeks or months, my symptoms were gone mm-hmm. because I got back to doing all of the things from a fitness standpoint, from a rehab standpoint that I knew I should have been doing anyways, but I was just fearful and I had some fear, anxiety built up. And when I got that image that said, no, you're fine. I got back to doing my normal life and my pain went away. That's awesome. And that's another thing why, or another reason why, I mean, images can just play such an important role when, and it's Mm -hmm. something we place a lot of emphasis on. 
especially in terms of arthritis that Mm -hmm. people put and it can even go the other way. Like I'm having maybe a a little bit of knee pain. I'm going to go get an x-ray or an MRI to see what's going on. I hear that a lot. I want to know what's going on inside of my joy. I want to see which there is some benefit, especially of course, if you've had an injury or something, you do want to rule out some things, maybe a meniscus tear or something like that, a fracture. But when you get that image and it's like, whoa, you have the joint of an 80 year old and you're 40 or you're 50, it can really change your course of action if mm-hmm. you're not, especially if you're not prepared to hear something like that. Yeah. And so that's why I think it's so important to have the knowledge about the condition. And that's why I'm working so hard to spread as much information about this condition. So you know how to advocate for yourself that maybe if arthritis is thrown at you and you weren't really expecting it. Okay. Well, I know that lifestyle factors can help. I know that the types of foods you're eating, and I know that movement can be really helpful. Where should I start? How to advocate for yourself? Can I start physical therapy instead of your knee is the knee of an eight year old? you should consider getting knee surgery in the next year or so or something along those lines. And it really, once you're told that and you start to believe that, start to believe that you don't have options, that's when treatment really can go sideways. Mm -hmm. And it really can be difficult for you to overcome those beliefs because you have that image cemented in your head and maybe even you're imagining your bones rubbing together. I don't know if clients have ever told you that before or that they envision their bones are cracking or all these things that you start to create in your mind, which then start to impact your actions when you might not even be realizing it. Yeah. Like you said, imaging can have beneficial, a beneficial place in, in how we handle things medically, but it can also have a huge negative effect. If you, if you don't know and have the knowledge and have knowledge is power, right? It's like, you don't have the power to control your mindset when you see something in that image. Because, you know, someone might have a very small amount of pain Mm -hmm. and then they get an image and it shows some significant stuff. And then with nothing else changing, now their pain is more if Mm -hmm. their mindset leads them down that path because now they're concerned and they're catastrophizing about what's going on. So like what Alyssa and I are talking about, you guys, is like if, if you or someone you know, a friend or family member is dealing with arthritis, like, man, we need to share with them the information about what arthritis is, arthritis is, what it means, and what things you should be doing about it, and not just rely on the images to like act like they're telling the whole story. That's kind of mm-hmm. like the cover of a book, but that doesn't tell you the, all the pages and of information that are on the inside. And um, where I want to sort of steer this, Lisa, is is to that side of things. We talked about lifestyle factors being beneficial. We talked about movement being beneficial, but like if somebody listening to this has arthritis or they think they're going to have arthritis down the road. And when they do start to feel something now, they're wondering like, well, what should I be doing about it? Um, What should people do? Yeah. So if we go kind of on the prevention side, I actually just made a YouTube video about this because I had some friends who are around my age asking like, how can I prevent arthritis? My parents or, you know, my loved ones have arthritis. How can I prevent it? And honestly, Prevention and treatment are actually pretty similar, but Mm -hmm. it's just going to depend on the degree of exercise that you're doing. How I am personally preventing arthritis um, is one, 
primarily, and I know that you're behind this, but primarily placing emphasis on movement. And honestly, what I find, especially when people come to me that either have just been dealing with pain or have been dealing with pain for a while, there are some missing components in movement. And especially if somebody has arthritis, they tend to resort to walking or a certain cardio activity for exercise, which has its time and place aerobically. It certainly can have benefits, but honestly, people do not get enough variety. And even those that maybe are in CrossFit or even those who are triathletes, even those that can be very athletic may not be getting the variety that they need. And so a big thing that I place priority on in my own training is one, single leg strength. And I honestly find sometimes CrossFit tends to um, avoid this. They're getting a little bit better recently. But um, incorporating like single leg step up, single leg squats, focusing on lunges, these sorts of things, aside from just focusing primarily on the double limb lifts of like a squat and a deadlift. Also incorporating some degree of power. So whether that's like jumping, even if you can't jump, you can of course play with the tempo of things of just trying to increase the speed at which you're doing something, especially as you get older, power is one of the first things to decline. And if you don't know what power is, it's muscular strength plus speed. So it's using your strength or generating strength quickly. So those two things, I think, are one of the most important. And power actually comes in handy, especially if you're dealing with or have a history in your family of osteoporosis or osteopenia, which is a weakening of the bones. Um, So you kind of get an extra added benefit there. Um, So As far as also being consistent with movement, consistency is one of the hardest things when it comes to lifestyle factors, but really focusing on doing the right kind of movement. And if you're not sure if you're doing the right kind of movement, or if you're one of those people that maybe kind of gets into a routine, I've noticed a lot of people like probably 50 and up, a lot of them have like a pretty consistent routine oh, I do these six stretches every single day, or I do these six movements every single day. If you are kind of following in that boat, that again will fall into the lack of variety. Your body needs to move in different ways. And if you're not being conscious about it, it can be difficult to incorporate that. So you have to incorporate moving sideways, moving backwards, moving in different directions to challenge muscles differently. Your joints need support on all sides. Basically what you're getting at, sorry to interrupt you, basically what you're getting at to take that like one step further, because I'm sure you find this out in Utah. I find it here. People, our clients here are are really smart. They're really inquisitive. Like they want to know like what it is that we're talking about. Basically what you're talking about is, is a principle of like periodization, right? Are we periodizing our training? Are we intentionally manipulating the variables of our training, such as speed, tempo, one limb, two limbs? jumping impact or not like are we having a big variety in our training that is purposeful um and then like you said a lot of times people resort to low impact minimal range of motion activities such as an elliptical walking whatever rather than putting their joint through its full range of motion under load um and there's a study that i was reviewing this weekend um 
we were talking uh, a lot about fitness training and we were talking about the knee and are deep squats safe for the knee. And specifically this article, this study was looking at Olympic weightlifters, right? People who are doing heavy weights through a huge range of motion, very powerfully, like you mentioned. And what they did was they did imaging of this huge subset of Olympic weightlifters compared to a group of controls. And what they found was the group of weightlifters who are lifting the heavy loads, they actually have thicker, more cartilage in their knees than the people who intentionally avoid those activities. So what what the conclusions were of these studies was that lifting heavy weights through a full range of motion is actually protective as opposed to hip like as a negative, protective to our joints. It's good for them. Yes, absolutely. And I think one of the biggest hurdles that a lot of people come to, especially in 50s, 60s, 70s, is sticking with lower weights. Mm -hmm. I have people in my membership now who it's encouraging to say that they've asked for heavier weights for Christmas because they've been stuck with three pound weights or five pound weights and have been really scared or hesitant to move up in weight. And it's important to increase that load. Like you mentioned, if you're stuck at this, using the same three pound weights, doing, you know, whatever it is, bicep curls and different things, and it doesn't feel challenging, odds are you might not be getting as much benefit as you think you are. And so it's really pushing, okay, it is safe to make things feel challenging in using the right movements and in a strategic way. But you have to have that progression. You have to have that change. You have to reach that feeling of being challenged and being fatigued in order to make real change to your bones, building bone strength, to your muscles, building muscle Mm -hmm. strength. You have to challenge your body appropriately. And that's a big thing I find a lot of people are missing. Yeah, man. We we call that, you guys, this principle. There's a an exercise principle, a physiological principle we call um, progressive overload, right? Is what, what Alyssa and I are talking about. And what happens is the older we get, the weaker we get, right? You guys maybe have heard me say sarcopenia on this podcast before the process of losing muscle mass as we age. And if you are one of those people who you're sort of stuck in this routine of, I use the same weights for the same exercises every single week or every single month or whenever your, whatever your cadence is, we eventually plateau And then that plateau, unfortunately, starts to turn into a decline because if we don't continue to give the body something additional to adapt to, we're going to start to regress, right? And that's just like science. And there's nothing any of us can do about that. We have to progress something, whether that's the amount of resistance or the tempo or the speed that we're doing something or the amount of time we're we're holding a position. Like we got to change some sort of variable to give our body something to adapt to. Because from an evolutionary standpoint, our body is designed to burn as little calories as possible and expand as little energy as possible, because that's how we're able to survive, right? So our body does not really want to change. Our body wants to stay the same and not spend energy. We need to make it do that if we want to push push the bounds on being able to do more activities or get back to activities that we used to enjoy that we, we haven't been able to do recently. Yeah, absolutely. And I honestly Mm -hmm. find that 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 and variety are Mm -hmm. two of probably the biggest things that people are missing. Yeah. And of course, especially if you're dealing with pain, it's hard to say, well, you just need to lift heavy weights or you just need to maybe increase your weights. And that's 
not necessarily what it is. I mean, it's building confidence first, finding movements that feel good and really kind of riding those. And then you can start to worry about adding weights and things that will come. But especially if you're more on the preventative side of things, if you're unsure of like what movements are good, what movements you should start with, I mean, seeing a professional, seeing a physical therapist near you is probably one of the best ways to do that. Because yeah. sometimes when you're finding things online, it can be hard not to injure yourself, especially if you are in pain. So seeing somebody that can help kind of give you a personalized approach can be very, very helpful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, tailor that to you. Um, okay, so how we got on that topic, right, was just talking about what can people do if if they have arthritis, and then we went down this prevention route. And you said you recently made a video about this because people are asking about preventing it. Um, so what if somebody already has it? In addition, in addition to continuing to find exercises that work for them and challenge themselves with those and then move, move in a variety of body positions. What else can people do that you found to be the most successful in, uh, in helping people manage and improve when dealing with arthritis? I think learning is a big one. Learning about how your body moves from quality sources. The more you know, like I mentioned, the more you can advocate for yourself that even if you have arthritis, you can start to change. I mean, mindset plays a big role because if you're constantly in this state of, I have arthritis, there's nothing I can do, or I can't do this, I can't do that, what can I do instead? And it starts to really get into this isolating period, this very frustrating feeling of, again, losing power. And so the more that you can learn, the better, again, from quality sources. Now, also, this is a very hot topic, and I am not a nutritionist. Um, I'm not a dietitian. <laughs> but food plays a big, big role. And, you know, it's honestly, people are always looking for, you know, what are the best foods I should be eating? What exactly should I be eating? What exactly should I be avoiding? It's really coming down to you likely know the foods that are not as good for you and you likely know the foods that are better for you and really just kind of focusing right there, minimizing the stuff that probably isn't very good for you, processed yeah. sugar, you know, those sorts of things, but food does play a role. And I think it's really important to look at, okay, if you're not making progress with pain relief, if maybe you're stuck in a plateau, maybe even experience an increase in pain. It's looking at usually like four basic things. There are more, but these are probably four of the main ones. Food is one of them and what you're regularly eating. Movement is another, and we've talked about that extensively. Sleep is the third one. And really just your overall mindset, we can kind of encompass that with like the stress, anxiety that you're experiencing. Um, yeah. But it really just comes down to your thoughts and just your mental headspace. Um, and really, those four things are a great place to start. In fact, if saying, okay, well, my food is pretty good, I eat pretty good, I sleep pretty good, but maybe I'm not getting enough variety in my movement. Or maybe I've just been super stressed about a family issue or something else. So if you kind of start with those four factors, that can typically be a good place to start as far as figuring out where you need to focus. Yeah. Yeah. And that should sound familiar to anyone listening to this show. If they if they didn't fast forward past the intro to this podcast, you'll know that those are four of the main topics that we talk about. Nutrition, movement, sleep, and stress management, or that mindset piece like you're talking about. And um, it is, it's just, you know, like you said, I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a nutritionist. 
But I, I am a nutritionist. I'm not, I'm not a dietitian, but we have a lot of nutrition conversations in our office. And you had mentioned avoiding the, you know, highly processed sugars, avoiding those things that have a bunch of added sugar to it. Um, and just, you know, the more often we can be eating things that are fresh or grown in the ground or harvested from natural sources, as opposed to opening things up out of packages that could last on the shelves for years if they needed to more we can eat less of those things and more of the natural things, whatever sort of nutrition, um, you know, program you subscribe to, whether you're eating meat, you're not eating meat, where you're getting your sources of this and that, just the more natural things you can have with less added sugar um, and less highly processed ingredients, the better off you're going to be. Preferably things that if they are colorful, they're naturally colorful, not with added dyes and colors in them. And I would be willing to bet because it's hard to find somebody who wouldn't be this way. The less of those things that you eat, the better you're going to feel in right. almost every scenario. So if you don't believe me, I challenge you to just go try it. And then you let us know how it's working out for you. Um, and uh, and if it's not, then reach out to one of us so that we can be a resource and figure <laughs> out what else is going on. It might be because, another variable. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so uh, before we take up too much of your time, Alyssa, I want to just sort of close this out by basically saying, you know, if you, anyone listen to this, if you are someone that, um, you know, is dealing with arthritis and they're not feeling hopeful, they're not sure what they should do, what they can do, what they can't. They've heard so many different things from the different providers or people or sources on the internet. Uh, man, I encourage you to reach out to us. If you're somebody who lives local here in the Denver, Colorado area, or wants to work with someone on our team at Physio Room virtually, man, I encourage you to reach out to us. If you're someone that lives in the Salt Lake City, Utah area, I encourage you to reach out to Alyssa. And she has a wealth of information on the internet too, some of which is going to be included in the show notes. So I want you to like seek out those resources so that you're getting information from reputable sources so that we can help you put some hope back in your life to get back to the things that you want to do. Uh, and on that note, Alyssa, I'd love for you to share a little bit of, before we wrap up, like, how can people get in touch with you? What's the best place for them to go so that they can find you if they want to check out some of those resources or have questions for you specifically after uh, listening to this? All right, guys, Dr. Andrew back. This is uh, kind of funny. This has never happened on one of these podcast episodes. As you heard, I had just asked uh, Alyssa where we can find her uh, online, on social media and whatnot. And just as she was about to answer uh, she lost power at her house there in Utah. Uh, they had a storm rolling through. So I'm going to wrap this up for you guys. Um, so what Alyssa was basically about to say is you can find her all over social media. On Instagram, you can find her at Adventure Alive. And then her website, if you want to find out more information, is keeptheadventurealive.com. Um, so I encourage you, if you have things specifically that you want to learn more about her, if you want to see some of the free resources that she has, I encourage you to check those out. And then um, for all of you that tune in to listen, as you know, I really appreciate your guys' time. Thank you for spending it with us on the code. And um, if you haven't done so already, I would just be so appreciative and love if you were able to hop on the platform, scroll down to the bottom and leave a review on this podcast so that we can help get this out to more and more people. Um, again, if you are someone you know is dealing with a, an arthritis story of their own, We'd love to help them write the ending of that to make sure that they're able to live the life they're able to live and ready to live. And um, and when you are seeing someone like our team at Physio Room, if we do believe you 
you really need to go down the path of seeking out the assistance and the help of a surgeon, potentially explore joint replacement. Man, we'll tell you that. Any great physical therapist will tell you that. And um, we just want to make sure you're you're doing everything you can to get that hope back and live, live adventurously. So again, thank you so much. We'll catch all you guys on another episode of The Code. See you later.